Hello, and welcome to Fatal Femmes, a podcast surrounding the women of mystery. Each episode will focus on a mystery, suspense, or thriller written by or made famous by a female-identifying artist. We're your hosts, Laura Celeste and Lacey Cannon-Gonzalez. Stay tuned. For our first episode, we have selected the 1973 thriller Nightwatch, based on the play by Lucille Fletcher and starring Elizabeth Taylor. Nightwatch is also directed by Brian G. Hutton, known for directing Kelly's Heroes and Where Eagles Dare. We want to caution you that this episode is full of spoilers. We get in-depth on every aspect of the plot, so if you care about that, turn us off, go enjoy the movie, and come back. We'll be here. Obviously, the big draw for this movie is Elizabeth Taylor. Um, At this point, she has already won, I believe she's won her Oscar already at this point. Because this was in 1973, she won for Butterfield 8. Which is the only other movie that she starred with, um... Lawrence Harvey? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I actually knew that. I was going to see if you knew that. Okay. So, yeah. So, the movie stars Elizabeth Taylor, Lawrence Harvey, and Billy Whitelaw. Has a 33% score on Rotten Tomatoes, which isn't great. But I have to say I really enjoyed it. So, I don't know how I feel about that, that rating. We'll have to talk about that. So the movie starts off with Elizabeth Taylor visiting a flower shop and buying some roses. Which oddly looks like a scene from The Room. It looks like when Tommy goes to get flowers. It really does. Because I almost said to Carl, I was like, you're my favorite customer. Good doggy. <laughs> there was a dog in that scene. I was going to go straight up. Tommy was so ripped off this scene. When I first saw it, I actually kind of thought that, but I doubt that he saw that movie. He might have. He might have. He might have. That might be one of the things, because, okay, let's face it, he's just a great director and writer, so it's like a movie with a 33% score on Rotten Tomatoes might have been, like, the cornerstone of his whole process. Who knows? Who knows? He loves movies, He and that was part of the whole, why that all happened. So it's very possible. I think it's extremely possible. Little known fact, the movie, a scene from The Room, based off the 1973 film Nightwatch. Yeah, you heard it here first, folks. One day when we find out that it's true. <laughs> I bet it is. I really highly suspect it is. So, getting back on topic, Elizabeth Taylor is in a flower shop. What's Elizabeth Taylor's character's name in this? It's Ellen, right? Yes, her name is Ellen. Ellen, I can remember this. Ellen Wheeler. Yes. I remember that because of something another character said later on, but we'll get into that. And this is the first time that we meet their housekeeper, mm-hmm. who in the play was German, and in the movie they changed her to Spanish. Yes. Um, yeah. She confused me because it was like, I don't think she actually was Spanish. I don't think the actor was Spanish because it seemed kind of like a put-on accent at some points. I don't know. I don't know, but there is a line where they mention um, that she is from Spain. Yes, they because she says, um, in Spain, bigger, talking about uh, the flowers that Ellen bought. Yes. And Ellen gets kind of annoyed, and she's like, yes, yes, I'm sure the flowers are so much bigger in Spain. It's like... <laughs> yes. But that establishes that um, rapport between the two of them, and right. then also the joke about dinner is never served on time. Yeah. Which is is she supposed to be a bad housekeeper? Is that what I'm supposed is that what I'm supposed to be getting from this, or just like she just does it when she wants to? I think she just does it when she wants to. It's really interesting because 
her character was limited in the movie, whereas she had a much bigger part in the play. Mm. Did you finish reading the play? I did not finish reading the play. So okay. I'm really interested in your take. So in the play, the housekeeper comes in a lot of times. She's always kind of listening at the door like housekeepers do. Like any good housekeeper. Have you ever seen White Christmas? She does what any good housekeeper does and she listens. In the play, the housekeeper functions to help us find out things. But in the movie, she's not in it much at all. She, She literally is very insignificant to the film. Right, where in the play she's a much bigger character and points out things to the mate to Ellen and helps us. Oh, she's like, "Hey, that's not right," or what? Right. Interesting. I wonder why they cut that out. We now move out into the garden and we get our first good look at the house next door, the creepy, rundown old house. Yes. And we meet Mr. Appleby, which is the. I love that name. I love the name Mr. Appleby. Does that just not evoke? Like the image of the most cheery, like jubilant man you've ever seen. It kind of does, except he's not really that in either version of him. I know that's why it's so weird. I'm like, why are we naming this character Mr. Appleby? Mr. Appleby is like Mr. Rogers' cousin. That's like what the name evokes to me. And this is where we get into another big change. The play is set in New York, and the movie is set in London. So Mr. Appleby... Wait, say that again? The play is set in New York, but the movie is set in London. It is set in London. Because I got really confused watching it through the second time. Because they're talking about the husband making his fortune on Wall Street or whatever. I'm like, wait. Everyone has English accents. Is there a Wall Street in England? I got really confused. So this Mr. Appleby in the movie is just your stereotypical British... Uh, neighbor. Yeah. You know, he's very stiff upper lip, got the coat on, the hat, the little mustache. Yeah, twirly mustache. So in the play, he's a little bit more of a nosy neighbor type, runs mm. a community newspaper, and he's also gay. Yeah, I, oh, I didn't realize he was gay. Oh, that's awesome. Is that why his wife left him? That, I don't, they don't get into that. I know. Because he's definitely not gay. Or not presented as gay in the movie, yeah, at all. They talk about his wife leaving him and all this stuff. That's really interesting. Of course they would write that out. That's crazy. Um, But, okay, because I I started reading the play, I started, and I remember hearing that, like, oh, I run a little newspaper, and they're very annoyed by the fact that he wants to, like, get the, the dish. In the play, he's a very annoying character, and he's also kind of mean. Whereas I love him already in the, in the movie, he keeps to himself. It's kind of like, I'm doing my thing. You do your thing. Oh, I really love my plants. Like he's very obsessed with the plants. Yes. Like unhealthily obsessed with the plant. And I don't think that the plants, I don't think there's any plants in the play. So they just brought that in. Yeah. We'll get into that a little bit later. Okay. So we have our first encounter with Mr. Appleby. Yes. And he is going to plant these roses for her. You know, they're a friendly neighbor type, not best friends, but... Yeah. And we learn from Mr. Appleby that he grew up in the house that they are living in. He wanted to buy it, but he didn't get to. He's a little sad about this. He's a little bitter about it. Well, yeah. But he seems resigned with his lot of living in the shadow of this house that he wants 
as Alan's down in the garden with Mr. Appleby talking about the roses and, you know, establishing his backstory, up comes the window on her house and it's her friend Sarah, um, played by Billy Whitelaw, again, best name ever, um, who wants Ellen to come up and look at her dresses. And this scene for me kind of establishes um, Sarah as a character. She's very much, she moves around a lot. She moves from jobs a lot. She's um, having an affair with a married man, which comes up later. That's an important part of the, the story. Um, and this establishes that Ellen and, and Sarah are both kind of ladies of leisure. They don't really have a lot, of, lot to do. Because um, right afterwards, Mr. Wheeler, what's his first name? Lawrence Harvey's character. John. John, of course it's John. It's an English movie. Of course someone's named John. So John comes in and he's like, hello dear, did you have a nap? And it's like, <laughs> what a taxing day from buying roses. <laughs> she had to go have a nap. It's at this point where we see Ellen putting together her jigsaw puzzles. Oh yeah, she's, after a full day of buying roses and napping, she has time for her jigsaw puzzle. But this is where we get to an important point because her and Sarah have a conversation about the jigsaw puzzle. And when you first watch it, it's like, ah, whatever, jigsaw mm -hmm. puzzles. But then my second time through, I yes. noticed that um, she says, oh, you've got a new puzzle. And she goes, they're difficult to put together. And she goes, not once you've seen the complete picture. Yep, because I think she's starting to see what's happening. That's when I think she's having the realization. Because think about how she says that. Think about her face. And, like, it's a real tight shot of her face when she's, like, making these, making that statement. I think she's starting to realize right there. Oh, see, I thought she knew already. Oh. Because her plan. Because, see, okay, here's my, my mindset. I was coming in. I was like, okay. We're watching this movie, so it's all happening in the span of this movie. Like, the realization to the act. But that makes more sense, because and that also makes it a little scarier, because she spent this day buying roses, and like kind of like living her life and acting like nothing's wrong. Oh, of, yeah, you're totally right. I can't believe I didn't catch that. So, real quick note... If you haven't seen this movie and you care about spoilers, turn off this podcast now because you can't have a full discussion without going spoilers. into details. So um, we are going to be just talking about everything. So what you can do actually is go watch Nightwatch if you want to. Watch it and then come back and listen to this and then maybe watch it again because you really get some new cool things. There's a lots of... Lots of nuance in it, I think. And I think it, you appreciate it more having watched it once. So at this point, I think she's known for a while. This, this is something she's been planning. And this is like a, her little jabs at Sarah. Because she also says it's something to do while I'm alone in the house. Oh, yeah. Because she is really fixated on Sarah's relationship with Barry. Which I, I guess we've already given the spoiler Warning. Right. And Barry's not real, I don't think. Well, no, Barry's not real. Barry is her husband, John. Barry is John. John is Barry. So she. this is her little barb at... Her barb? Yeah, like, like barbed wire. Oh, her barb. Her little barb at Sarah. Yeah. Saying, you know, 
once you've seen the complete picture, you know, it's not hard. Because she's already put the pieces together and she knows what she's going to do. Mm. <laughs> so evil. Yes. I love her. And so then we move into one of what I call the weird overindulgent hospital scenes. It's a flashback. They are weird and overindulgent. I completely agree with that. They're just really long. I think they're, they're... very 70s. Yeah. They're they're a lot you're going to hear a lot of hate for the 70s film at this point because I just it's never been my favorite genre for movies or or color patterns for that matter or color palettes rather. Uh, but that's part of the reason that those scenes are kind of why I don't like films in the seventies. Cause a lot of films utilize that gratuitously. They're yeah. just kind of, they're disorienting and you can tell that they're like serving a purpose. And I mean, maybe they're trying to do it in the style, like in which someone dreams and you don't really dream any particular way. It's just called kind of hodgepodge together. Sometimes, um, it's not always like a linear thing in your dreams and in dreams different things stick out and things are mutated and something distorted. that yeah distorted that's the word i was yeah for. you're welcome um so in this hot in this scene i think at this point we're just seeing the car driving down a road at night and do we see who's in the car it's a man with a woman and they're very affectionate and some some hanky pankies going on and then at that point, do we do we see the accident or do we just um, are we just seeing the car at that point? I think we just see the car because we saw the car in the very beginning. Yes, that's important to note. And so I think we see the car. I don't think we see the accident. We just maybe hear the sounds. And then we get Elizabeth Taylor, whose haircut in those scenes. Oh, my gosh, it's so cute. It's like my next haircut. That's what I want. But so we see her having to go in and identify these bodies. And I don't think they give you a lot of backstory at that point on who it is. But you just know that she has definitely witnessed something like something horrific has happened. And she has to identify these victims. And then she wakes up and she's woken up in the middle of the night and she can't go back to sleep. Right. And this is one of my favorite scenes in the entire movie. Yeah. Because she's, she goes out into the sitting room and she's sitting there and she is just calm and still. And smoking her cigarette. And just completely in control. And at this point, what I saw from her was just a woman who knows that she has everything. All the pieces are in place. Everything is ready to go. And then her husband wakes up and comes out and he's talking to her. And I think at this point, she's giving him a chance through their conversation because she says, I've lost something and I want it back. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that that's her giving him the chance. Oh, she's giving him so many outs. Yeah. She's giving him so many chances to cop to what he's done and apologize and to just come back to her, you know, groveling. And I think she probably would have been like, cool. She would have been fine with it. Yeah. Um, but he says that nothing is lost and you can just see it in her face. Like, she's that, like that's it. Yep. That resolve kicks in and she's like, she's almost like a general in a, in, the, in a military scene, like in a movie, like the dawn as the battle approaches, like, it's like you just, you could feel it in the air, even though it's still in quiet. Like she just, she knows what she has to do and she knows what's going to happen. And the first time we watched this, 
there was a lot of these moments that I was like, this is just really weird acting. Well, yeah, yeah, because it's very like, she'll be fine and just talking and then it's like, oh, hold me, John. And you, it just seems like really terrible acting choices at first. But then I think going back and watching it again, you realize, how would you put that? I'm trying to think of the words. Because it's very much like she's wrestling. She's having a lot of these internal feelings. Right, but once she decides, and you, you can see that, you can see the steps she's going through, through the second viewing, that, mm-hmm. oh, no, it's not just a weird acting choice she's made. She's actually thinking this through or waiting for him to do this, and then once he doesn't... That's a better way. She's she's already, like, two steps ahead planning for the next move. Right. That's a better way of putting it. Not internal feelings. That's stupid. She doesn't have feelings. And then when he leaves to go get her the warm milk or make a sandwich or whatever he was doing, yeah. that's when you see her... Makes the final decision that this This is is going to happen. This is going down. And then that's a very pivotal moment of the movie. She's at the window. It's raining. She's looking at the house. And I love this shot because I can just see her, like Elizabeth Taylor, filming the scene. And the director going, okay, do this. And so all you see her do is she's looking out the window. And you see this wash of horror just come over her face. And she starts screaming as if someone is ripping her throat out. Like she is just blood curdlingly screaming. And she's like, oh no, John, help. And there's like flashes of lightning and thunder and it's cutaways. And it's like very dramatic. And so he rushes in and she's like, ah. And she's like crumpled, dissolved into the floor. And what you see is... Just, you know, this really great... When you watch this again the second time, you realize that it's just a complete act. Right. But when you watch it, it's just... She's just dissolved on the floor. She's very melodramatic. And you're like, oh God, this bitch is overacting. But you realize that she is so determined to sell this. And it's so important that she is over the top. Right, because if she just had a normal reaction then it like a normal person's reaction to seeing something like what she's seen oh and to to clarify what she what she says she's seen is a dead body in the window of the house next door it's a man with his throat cut sitting in a wingback chair that everybody keeps saying she thinks is her dead husband that comes in a lot later right a lot later. I wasn't even going to touch on that yet. Oh, yes. Okay. Um, well, we can edit that out. Or we can keep it. It's not a big deal. But the flash that we see of the body is so fast. Do we even see it? You see something. Because the first time we watched it. I don't think I saw, there was anything. There's, but it's so fast you're not sure if is you saw anything. Is it like a cigarette anything. burn? Like it's really quick? Because I don't remember seeing anything. Yeah. The first time I watched it, I was like, oh, there's a body there. There's a body there. But then when I watched it again, I was like, wait, that was so fast. I'm not sure if I actually saw something or not. Yeah, I don't remember seeing anything. Because, of course, times. in the play, you don't see anything at all. It's She's all just on her. looking out the window. Well, but see, that changes magic. it. Well, that changes it for me because it's like, because it's, it's all on her to sell it. I didn't realize that you could see a dead body in the window. Not that it really matters, because she still is giving it everything. Well, I think you can, like I was saying, 
I'm not sure if I actually saw something or not. Oh my God, she's even doing it to us as we speak. No, but so she dissolves into the floor and she's like, oh God, there's a body, call the police. And so everyone's awake. She, uh, John calls the police. The police officer rushes over and they're searching the house and, um, and she's barely able to talk. But I thought it was really interesting because they're like, oh, because Sarah is trying to get her to take a sedative when the police are kind of inspecting them, they haven't spoken to her yet. Maybe they're not there yet. They might not be there yet, but as they're preparing to speak to the police or having them in the house, and Sarah's trying to get her to take a sedative because she's so upset. And she's like, no, 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 they'll want to talk to me. Like, she knows exactly what needs to happen. She knows that she has got to be with it enough to sell this to the police. So she... So that's what happened. So at this point, then the police come. They're searching the house. Of course, they don't find any bodies. One thing that really got me at this point was they ask if... No, no, they don't ask, but her husband mentions that she probably has menopause, and that's causing her to see dead bodies. Did he say that, or did the detective say that? Maybe it was the detective, but they were talking about it. No, I think he told his sergeant that. That's right. Or his detective inspector. I don't know what their names are in England, but I don't know how their police forces work or what their names are. But yeah, I think he says that because he's like, you know, is she drunk or is she high or something? He's like, more like pre-menopausal bullshit. I can't remember what he Because says. everybody knows that when you have menopause, you start seeing dead, dead bodies. bodies. <laughs> oh, yes. I mean, how many did mom see? I haven't gone through the change, so. I don't know, but, you know, you do have your monthly cycle, so you probably see some pretty weird stuff when you're hallucinating. No, I just kill people. Oh, okay, so, and then you see the dead bodies. Yeah, I see them because they're right in front of me. <laughs> All right. Well, then we get another weird hospital scene, and... That starts to become more fleshed out, I thought. Yes, it does. I think at this point, we actually see her... Look, they pull back the sheets, and we see the, the bodies. Yeah. So, we, we've seen the bodies. More hysteric. She wakes up, I think. Oh, yeah, because that's important to mention that um she had to take a sedative to go to sleep and she's like john will you come here i'm so high i have to talk to you and make you realize how high i am and i'm just so sad and so all of that happens and then she has the dream sequence and then she wakes up and she is like and she's in that terrible peach nightgown which whoever put elizabeth taylor in peach should have been fired because that is not in her color palette at all but now she does wake up and she changes into this beautiful, like, frosted, light purple number. And I'm very much here for that. But I feel like that's for a different podcast. <laughs> so she wakes up. What happens? She wakes up. We get some more talking about the police and, um... Why won't you believe me? Oh, there's a lot of... Exactly. There's a lot, like you said, lots of hysterics and lots of crying and... Oh, John, why won't you believe me? Why won't anyone believe me? I'm literally doing the script. script. Yeah. Like, I have the dialogue. I am Elizabeth Taylor. Let's just acknowledge it. Then we get a scene where Sarah is going to meet Barry, who she was supposed to have broken up with already. We still don't see who Barry is. We get a nice shot of his butt. Though. I was like, we see Barry's butt. Yeah. So at this point, 
we say at this point a lot. Yeah. But at this point in the movie, you're still led to believe Barry is another person. You don't realize Barry is John Jonas Barry. John Barry. John Barry Moore. Oh my oh! gosh! Illuminati confirmed. <laughs> oh, yes. And then he has a really fun line here. He goes back to his office about... Raping secretaries. I was like... No, because Carl said that last night because he heard that and he was just like, what the hell? So that has come up a lot because, you know, once my husband hears something provocative said, he has to then make it his own because he's a shock jock. But, um, yeah, so he said something to me about raping secretaries um, as we were walking into the movie theater to see A Wrinkle in Time this weekend. But, yeah. Always appropriate. Yeah, because his secretary is like, where have you been? Because someone, oh, because who calls for him? The police to tell him that Ellen has called four or five times that day And she won't stop calling. And so, so the police called John. John's secretary answers. She's like, he's not here. Oh, here he is. He answers the phone, talks to the police. And then the secretary's like, where were you? What were you doing? And he's like, raping secretaries. John, always the charmer. Oh my gosh. He, ooh. It's like, Our, that's just such a funny joke. I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I know, it's hilarious. Hilarious. Rape, always fun. Like, why Why would that be the first place your mind went? Why would it have been like, oh, fucking your mom? Like, why would it have been raping secretaries? And she's like, oh, I'm a secretary. Like, it's like, why would you say something like that? Why would you just be like... None of your business. Men in the 70s? Yeah, I mean, men anytime. Yeah. But that's another podcast. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So then we come back home and he's talking about how maybe she needs to go away. Yes. And then she's like, I thought we were going to go away. Yeah. He says, you should take a holiday. And she says, I thought we could take a holiday. I feel like at that time, she's still giving him an out. She still is. No, because... She's a benevolent psychopath. Yeah. <laughs> and then um, he has this really caring line where he tells her, your dead husband is too much. Oh, what was that in reference to? I'm trying to remember because he's like, your dead husband is too much. She She's talking about how it's too much for him and he's saying that her caring about her dead husband is just too much. Has she found the cufflinks at this point? I think maybe she has. Okay. So if that's the case, then I think we're about to find out exactly what these flashbacks are. Uh, what we find out is it's her first husband, Carl, which I, <laughs> Carl got a real, my husband got a kick out of that. But it's not just Carl, it's Carl. How do they say it, Carl? It's like it's Carl. Carl. Like you're going to call somebody it's instead like of have, Carl. It's like you have peanut butter stuck to the roof of your mouth trying to say Carl. <laughs> Carl. It's coral. Coral. So we find... <laughs> we found about her, about her husband, Coral. Carl. It's like it sounds terrible. Carl. It's like they don't pronounce the L. It's just like, Carl. Carl. Sound like a, a weird seagull right now. That's what they sounded like. <laughs> anyway, so we find out that her... The man in the car in the flashback... Is her dead husband, Carl. <laughs> And his very young mistress. Um, and I think I think this is the time when they're talking about it. And maybe it's like right after this. But they're talking about basically she, like the mistress was found with her head in his lap. So some, some, sh- some yeah. wah wah was happening. I don't know why I'm so uncomfortable talking about sex. <laughs> they had a wreck. 
80 miles an hour. Her clothes were like half off or something. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Spoiler alert. They, they died. But, um, and they found, they said, or in the flashback, in the voiceover, Elizabeth Taylor's character is saying, um, they found more lipstick on his shirt than blood. And they tried to like cover it up. It's like, they're not just trying to cover up, you know, the mangled corpse of her husband. They're just like, but the lipstick. <laughs> but they don't show his face in the flashback, so I think he's supposed to be kind of. But she does up. make a remark that there wasn't a mark on the girl's face. No, well, it was protected. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, and now at this point, they're also telling her that she is hallucinating, and the dead body is Carl that she's seeing. Yeah, and she's like, I haven't thought about Carl in years, and. They're, they're blaming it on her um, insomnia because that comes up in the the night that she sees the body when she's having that conversation with John Preet. Before that happening, um, she, she brings up that she's an insomniac. Her father was an insomniac. And they're watchers of the night, which is maybe how they got the term night watch. I don't know. Ooh. I'm wondering because she remember, cause she says watchers of the night. And I was like, dang, this girl's going to write a book. Like, that's a really good. She's like, watchers of the night. I don't know why when I have when I do anyone's dialogue from this movie, I do it in the most crappy British accent I can muster. I don't know, you do you. I'm doing my crappy British accent dance right now. You can't see it, but it's great. Anyway, so at this point, I also had a question about why the table in the old house isn't warped, even though you see all this rain falling on it. Um, this sounds like an error in filmmaking. I feel like the properties master is that, or the set, the scenic designer, set designer. I feel like we need to write a strongly worded letter if they're still alive and we need to like make it so bad that we kill them with our words. I mean, that's the only logical thing to do. But yeah, it's like, hello. Like that would, cause I'm sure all of that furniture, it wasn't this Ikea crap. It was like, like oak real work yeah there was some really nice looking stuff in that old i know and it really looked untouched considering it's been like in dilapidated disarray for how many years yeah and just to clarify that's the house that elizabeth taylor's character said she saw the body and when they go they go in to investigate and the table is not warped and laura is upset yeah we do see some lights in the old house and they call the police and mr appleby is found poking about in the house he is apprehended and he is not pleased. He's like, well, wouldn't you go into a house if you knew, if you thought a murder was, or how does he say it? He's like, if someone told you someone was murdered in the house next door, wouldn't you go looking at, looking at it or snooping? It's like, no, I wouldn't. No. Yeah, no. <laughs> it's like there was a house in Liberty Hill when we were growing up that Nana, our grandmother, told us someone had killed themselves in years and years and years previous. And I was scared to even at it because I thought she was going to come through a window and like kill me. That's true. So it's like no I would not go into the house where a murder took place. And it is this point too where the police are now suspicious of Mr. Appleby Mm -hmm. and dig up his prized trees that he just planted. Yeah that he would not let them dig up previously and said you have to get a warrant for it and so they're like oh well this doesn't really matter i don't think he has anything to do with it so they were going to leave him alone and then he effed himself in the bee by going in that house they dig up his trees find no body and they're done with the case it's and, over oh and this, i feel like this is really important about the plants i just remember him going you don't 
what is it? You don't replant the dead, you bury them or something. I can't remember what he said because he was real mad about his about his stuff getting ruined. And Mr. Wheeler offers to um, like pay for it. He goes, oh, of course you pay for it, Mr. Wheeler dealer. Which I was like, thank God someone said it. Because the whole time I was watching this movie up to that point, I was going, Mr. Wheeler dealer, the wheelers and dealers. And I am being so Caucasian right now. So sorry. But yeah, he's like, Mr. Wheeler dealer. <laughs> so it's at this point that things, again, I said at this point, you say at this point, we literally both say at this point, at this point every time in the... Alright, I will say something different. At this S- juncture. So now... <laughs> so now John is at his wit's end. He doesn't know what to do, so he consults his doctor friend, and they're trying to get a ruse where he can talk to her. Without Ellen knowing that he's, like shrinking her right which another fun point in the play the doctor is a woman well you can't have that in film well no of course not then there would have been three women in the movie and you can't have that that's entirely too many oh oh i want to get to the one i forgot this one part of when they dig up mr appleby's plants he asks them what do you think you would find an earthworm with a revolver Just the visual. I just, I just love that. But line. not, not, a, not an earthworm-sized revolver. No, a like full-sized revolver. And this earthworm trying to like hold it. Up. No, he's fully holding it up with his non-existent hand. It's just like, yeah. it's just like what? <laughs> feeling lucky? You feeling strong, friend? That just amused me to no end. Oh yeah, yeah. Earthworms are rampant, rampant killers. Yes. All right. So anyway, back to the doctor. Back to the doctor. Oh, one thing that John says is he's worried that she's going to take an overdose. Oh yeah, because she's because he's prescribing her so many pills to help her sleep that he she's wor- that John's worried Ellen's going to take too many pills. But she's herself. not taking them herself. She's only taking what's given to her by Sarah. Well, maybe John just thinks like Do you know how men are with medicine. A lot of times, men of that time period and mindset, it's like oh, you know, one Tylenol, Tylenol, and you should be fine. So maybe he was just worried, like, oh, hey, she's taking too much, and I don't like her taking You know what I'm saying? That's a good point. Just, like, I don't want my wife to be a drugged-up zombie. I thought maybe, too, it was kind of a red herring at this point to make it look like he's saying, oh, planting the seed that she's going to try to kill herself, and then they're going to try... Oh, definitely, because I think watching through the first time, you're looking at him as the villain. You're like, oh, man, they're going to try to kill her. Yeah. Oh, and it is after this point she's had more hysterics, and we find out for sure about Barry. That there is no Barry. There is no Barry. Barry is John. John is Barry. John okay. Barrymore. We see Sarah and John kiss in the other room. It is scandalous. I was violated and very upset. But it happened. It did. And it did confirm. Because I think during the first viewing for me, I think I felt like there was something going on between them. Yeah, there was something happening. Like, you could just feel it. Which, I just have to give it to the director. Because watching it through twice now and knowing the story, it's like, he really did a good job at gaslighting you. Because it's like the story, like, Lucille Fletcher's initial story, you know, had all of that written in. But he went in and kind of picked out those moments and things to really create that kind of feeling. So it was just a really good com- combination of writer and director, I thought. It's just very well crafted. Mm-hmm. So at this point, I made a note that there is so much rain in this movie. There's so much rain, but England. Yeah, England. Or in England, it rains. It rains like every day. 
Oh, so she's having her meeting with the doctor. Yes. So they do they do convince her to meet with the doctor. Because he's also a friend of the, of the family. And he has convinced her that she should go to Switzerland for a rest. And she agrees to do this. Mm-hmm. And she gives John one more chance. She asks him, are you sure you want me to go? Mm-hmm. I don't want to go. And he tells her that he thinks it would be best. And he has just sealed his fate. She's given him at least three chances to get out of this. You know, I feel like that's more than enough. So I feel even though he ends up not being the big bad, he's just a shitty person. And it's like, she doesn't need that. Bye. Yeah. She tells the doctor that Carl... Carl. Betrayed her. Yeah, because he was... He had a mistress. And that is the one thing that she can't get over. She can forgive anything else in life but betrayal. Which, again, brings back Tommy Wiseau, because does he not talk about betrayal in the room? Oh, that's true. He talks about betrayal in the room all the time. I've been betrayed. I'm just saying, I I just want to put this out into the world. I think Tommy Wiseau was heavily influenced by Nightwatch. (laughs) I really think you he heard it here first. I really feel like I have, I have uncovered something wide open. I've cracked the room. I've opened the room. She asks where Dolores is, and John tells her, "You fired Dolores." And she goes, "Oh, did I?" Yeah, and it makes it seem like he's trying to plant these false memories in her head, like he fired Dolores and is telling her that she did to make her seem crazy. Yes. Which during the first viewing made you think it's like, "Oh shit, he's he's gearing up to do some real bad shit to her." Like that's what I just kept thinking. I was like, "Oh, he's going to like the insanity of Mary Gerard to her, like make her think like she's crazy and like commit her." Well, Gaslight, I thought mm-hmm. that this was a really bad ripoff of the movie Gaslight. Okay, or the insanity of Mary Gerard. Well, yeah, I mean that one's really good too. I don't know if I've seen Gaslight. I just know was, that was Angela Lansbury's first movie. Yes, it was. I feel like I did see it, but I feel like it's been a really long time. But I know that's where the term gaslighting comes from, which I love that term. We're gonna have to watch that now. Uh, yeah, that's definitely on the menu. So Dolores is out of the house. There's nobody that she can rely on. It's just her, Sarah, and John. Yep. And, oh, she tells Sarah that a lie is such a small betrayal. Mm-hmm. So, again, we get that word, betrayal. But a lie is such a small betrayal. So is it something that could be forgiven if you ask for forgiveness? I don't know. Maybe to you or me, but betrayal is betrayal. Oh. To Ellen. Oh, no, fully. Fully. But I just feel like that was interesting wording on her part. Goliath is such a small betrayal. Like, sleeping with my husband's a little bit bigger of one. And so this is when she tells them she knows. Well, first of all, she comes downstairs in the most gorgeous all-garnet outfit. Like, it just sets off her skin tone and her eyes. Like, she looks so intense and viperish in that outfit. And she has some really good monologues and, like, really close, like, tight close-ups on her face. You know, and she's just... Venom is dripping from her mouth as she's just spitting this monologue at Sarah and at John because Sarah comes in with this glass and she's like here drink this I know how nervous you get on flights so when you're watching it the first time you're like oh they're gonna poison her they're gonna poison her and bury the body and make it seem like she went to Switzerland or they're gonna sedate her and they're gonna throw her in a a padded room somewhere and she's like and she goes off like she pulls off the band-aid. She's like, I know what you're doing. I know this crap you're trying to pull. I know you're trying to kill me. And they are like, what? What are you talking about? And so you still, in the first year, you think, oh, they're just really committed to this 
to this bit. This is also the point where she pulls out the key that she found. Oh, we didn't even talk about that. Yeah, go ahead. So she pulls out this key that she found. It has the name Dipco on it. Which John had just given her some papers to sign saying, oh, while you're away, we need to manage your funds. And this company, Dipco, was on the paperwork. Was on the paperwork. And so she says, I found this key. But then, it's with the company. But she finds out from the police officer earlier in the movie. I completely forgot about this. Yeah, earlier in the movie, she finds out that Dipco is the people that own the house. So that further, when that first viewing, when you watch that first viewing, you're like, oh my gosh, this guy has planned this. He even bought the house to do it. Because this company, Dipco, owns the house where she says that she saw this dead body. We didn't even touch on the fact that she says she saw another body. Oh yeah, we completely forgot about that. There's so much. I mean, it's not so really much in this movie. There's a lot in this movie, but it's like it's not really a huge plot point. But later, a little bit later on in the movie, um, I think in the point when she's calling the police a lot, that um, she goes to the window and she screams again, and she said this time she sees the body of a dead woman with her throat slit. A blonde woman. A blonde woman with her throat slit. And they're like, oh. And I did they say that she, they thought it might be the mistress? Because the mistress in the flashbacks is young with long blonde hair. Well, that's what they're saying is that she's having these hallucinations of Carl and His this mistress. young girl. Yeah. yeah. And so that's what she's seeing in the house. So, um, yeah. So all this happens. And then, yeah, she pulls out the key and she's like, you know, I know that we, that Dipco owns that house and I know that we own a part of Dipco. So let's just go see if this key works. And so she runs out of the house and it's raining, very dramatic. And she goes and she puts the key in the lock and she's kind of wrestling with it for a minute and it opens. The door goes wide open. So you're like, oh shit, this is happening. They are going to kill her. And of course he's running right after her and he's like on a rampage, like just in a rage running after her. And then Sarah just stays behind and is screaming, John! And you're like, when? and then she's up in the window and she's like banging on the window. Like, don't go in, John, don't go in. And you're like, girl, you have legs. Walk down the stairs and go grab him. Like, yeah. why are you just standing here at this window? You're not in like a force field. But anywho. Yeah. So she finally does make it into the house. Yeah. She finally decides like, oh, I can do this. And she goes in the house. But that's like way after they both go in. So it's like all of these very shadowy shots and you see Liz Taylor and she's hiding. She's trying to find places to hide. Or so you think. And John's following after her and he looks so menacing. Like she yeah. literally looks like the prey. He looks like the predator. Like they do such a good job of making it look that way. But also watching it the second time, you can see it from the, the other way too. She In the second viewing, you can see that while she's not prey, she's being very calculating. It's like you, she's planning everything. She's going where she needs to go and doing what she needs to do and making sure he's following her. And in the first time, it's it looks like she's just trying to get away from him. So she finds this room and she's like hidden in this dark little corner and he can't see her. So she's kind of hidden in the corner behind like this big piece of furniture. And it's kind of open so she's exposed, but darkness is what's giving her that cloak of... of um... Concealing her? Yeah, it's concealing her, yes. I was trying to... No, I... Cloak of darkness. No, the yeah, it is a cloak of darkness. I was thinking about Harry Potter and that and that cloak. What was that of cloak? Invisibility. Called? Yeah, I was giving not invisibility, but it was it was cloaking her in darkness. And then he's looking into the room and he's looking around. He doesn't see anything. And then for some reason, I think he turns around and there's a flash of lightning, and it illuminates her and he sees her. Oh, and going back when Sarah's running out of the house, it zooms in because she's running out of the house um, through the kitchen door into the backyard. 
and they're in the kitchen and it zooms up to the knife blocker where the knives are kept and you can see one's been taken but you don't know who's taken it did ellen take it did john take it oh. well i don't think it gives the possibility of sarah because i think she just runs right through so you don't know who has the knife so then we get to this point and there and he sees her and he goes and he's like wrestling with her and you're like oh crap he's killing her he's killing her. and then from then they take you downstairs and you're with sarah and this camera's on Sarah. So you just hear all the commotion going on. And then you just hear this blood curdling scream. And the first thing Sarah does is go, John! Do you think John screams like that? Because it did not sound like John screamed. It sounded like Ellen screamed. Yeah. I think Ellen screamed. I don't think John did. Spoiler alert. He she killed him. So we follow Sarah and she's walking up the stairs. And she goes into the room. And she sees this chair. And just, and it's the big wing chair that um, Ellen was talking about in the beginning. And it's in this big room. And you can just see over the top of the chair, the top of someone's head. Oh, and right before that, I feel like I'm doing this a lot. But right before, like, after the scream, you hear the slump. And then you hear this dragging. And you can hear someone dragging a body. And that's when Sarah goes upstairs. Which I'm like, yeah, that's the point that I go upstairs. That's the point I run out of the house and call the police. Like a normal person. But anywho, Sarah doesn't make that choice. So she goes into this room. She sees the top of the head. Right over her shoulder. See his face. But that's not until she gets, that's not until she gets over to the chair because the chair's oh, kind of facing okay. away from the door. So um, Sarah has to walk into the room and turn. And when, as she turns, she sees it's John and he's got his throat cut. And it's like very bloody and he's in this wing chair. Mm -hmm. And then as she sees that, lightning flashes and you can see Ellen's head right over Sarah's shoulder like Laura said she just goes in and just starts stabbing this girl mercilessly and it is really disturbing but you see when Sarah turns to look at Ellen it's not Sarah's face it's the, the face of the mistress the face of Carl's mistress Carl Carl Carl's mistress did they ever give her a name or is she just mistress mistress number one I think she might just be mistress mistress I want to call her mistress number one. Yeah, so she sees the face of this girl instead of Sarah's face, which is interesting. But I think that's kind of hearkening back to the original betrayal. It's like she says, two husbands that cheated on her. Yeah. So she starts just stabbing Sarah repeatedly, mercilessly. It is, it's really uncomfortable to watch. It is. It's very brutal. It's vicious. It's like an animal attack. It's, it's just unrelenting. And then she slits her throat and it's like, oh, just even talking about it. It's, it's very, it's not scary, but it's just disturbing to watch because it's just someone that is completely devoid of humanity and mercy, just like murdering this person. That's their best friend. Yeah. Like completely like disregarding that and just like, it, it's just definitely not one of the most, I wouldn't say it, it's one of the most disturbing things I've ever seen, but it's definitely just something disturbing. Are they both in chairs at that point? No, she just leaves her on the floor. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Carl, or not Carl, sorry, now I'm, now I'm doing Ellen's thing. But John's in the chair, Sarah's on the floor, they're dead. Just like she told the police that she saw. Yeah, but we're going to get to that in a minute. So the next scene we see after all these brutal murders have taken place is Ellen coming out and she's in, she's cleaned uh, all the bloods off her, which I think it's funny that she was wearing all red to do this murder. I wonder if that was premeditated. Like if she thought about that because blood won't show up on clothes so she could just walk right out. Yes, but also think about this. So she's wearing this very vibrant red mm -hmm. and now that it's all over, she's in white. Yeah, she's in stark, like bright, brilliant white. Which is 
in the same color palette of what everybody else was wearing. I wonder what that means. Do you have an idea? Well, I feel like her her colors were in this time that she was planning and now that now that everything is over and she's kind of joined like normal society again, now she's fitting in, her colors are fitting in with the rest of the world. Interesting. I wonder. That's a very interesting theory. But yeah, she comes out and she's just beautifully dressed and diamonds. It's very Liz Taylor. But she um, lights her cigarette. She smokes a lot. There's a lot of smoking in this movie and it's mainly her. So she gets her phone and calls the police one last time and she's like... Oh, detective, something terrible is happening to that house. And she's just going on and on. At this time, this is probably the thousandth time she's called. And he's like, yes, yes, Mrs. Wheeler. Oh, yeah, they were supposed to send someone to look at, go inspect the house. And they never sent anyone because, of course, they think she's insane. And so she's like, you never sent anybody. Or, oh, please come look. And he just hangs up on her. And it, Oh, go ahead, go ahead. What I love about this scene so much, though, is when she's talking, you know, her face is all creased and she's in it, but when she's listening to him, she's just calmly smoking her cigarette. It's like she's on the phone with a delivery person or just having a phone call. Yeah, so you see the whole, the whole act yes. right there. So the whole melodramatic, hysterical woman was a complete act. She was feeding them exactly what they thought they were seeing to get the result she wanted. So he hangs up on her and she's like, I thought you'd say that. She's just like, hmm, hmm, I'm a murderer and I got away with it. Look at me. And she's fixing to, I think she's preparing to go to Switzerland at that point, which is the best place to hide out because no extradition. She literally has picked up her case and is getting ready to leave and in walks Mr. Appleby. And he knows what happened. I think he might've gone to the house. I think, I think he did. So I think he knows that Sarah and John were murdered. So he's kind of in the doorway and you can see her face being like, oh crap, this was unexpected. How do I work with this? And you can see the wheels turning or trying to figure this out. And he's not reacting the way a normal person, first of all, if someone just found dead bodies, they wouldn't go try to find the murderer. They would be like calling the police. But he goes right to her because he knows what happened. He knows what happened, and I think he knows her plan, too, because he tells her, don't worry, they wouldn't believe me either. Yeah. You see the wheels turning, and she comes to this conclusion. She's like, Mr. Appleby, I'm going to be gone for a very long time, and someone's going to have to look after this house. Would you do that? And, and so, basically, she's bribing him with his childhood home that he wants. He's always wanted. He, she's like, here, you can have it and so they come to this agreement she goes on her merry way and the movie ends the end my main takeaway from this and and it really established it for me when I watched it a second time was in a way this is a feminist movie because the character of Ellen Wheeler literally takes the negative stereotypes that were placed upon and promoted that were placed upon women and promoted by men and promoted by society and she used it to manipulate every person, every man around her. And she gets away with murder as a result of it. She feeds them what they think is happening and she is able to get exactly what she wants and then some. That is true, yeah, because they just look at it as a stereotype of, oh, this, this hysterical, hysterical woman. Pre-menopausal woman yeah. just being crazy. Oh, she, look how much she's calling the police. They don't ever question it. It's just like, this girl's crazy. She's hysterical. This is women. You know how women are. They can't be taken seriously. And so they literally write her off. They're like, good. 
go. They're pushing her on the plane as she's, like, leaving. Yeah, this this movie makes me think of a couple of other ones, mainly, like, Gone Girl, Mm. Fatal Attraction, types of movies. A lot of men went, oh, those movies scared me. You know, women can be crazy. It's like, yeah, you should be scared because guess what? Women can do everything that men can do, but guess what? we can probably be a little more calculated. And that's what I loved about this movie is it took those things and the woman used it to her advantage. Yeah. Because of course everyone's going to always say that because no one can ever have common sense and look past the woman that did whatever she did and look into the circumstances. Because it's like, sure, it's an extreme measure. Right. It, you know, murder is wrong. But this person was put in this situation And this caused that reaction. It wasn't that she was crazy and she was calculating and she was manipulative. These circumstances cultivated that in her. Yeah. And women so often are ignored. Our feelings are ignored. And our thoughts that these develop in us. And I think that's the reason that you do when women snap it so intense. And people are like, oh my God, like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Because we're ignored so often and we're diminished and we're downplayed so much that by the time that a woman or that media or real life stories come around that show a woman reclaiming her power or, you know, using those things against a man or against the people that had wronged her, they're like, oh, wow, she's crazy. It's like, no, 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 no. She wasn't crazy. These people drove her to that. Yeah. Or you know what I mean? So I just feel like people don't use common sense. They're, they're just like, oh, there's this woman's calculating and manipulative. And they don't look past the point of this woman was put in this really negative circumstance. And she used her natural abilities and abilities that were cultivated because of the situation she was in to get herself out of that situation. Mic drop. Boom. All right. So do you have a recommendation? I do have a recommendation. Um, staying on the theme of gaslighting, which is something that I love. I love, I, I like deceiving an audience. <laughs> I think it's fun. I, it reminds me of a play that I actually directed about three years ago called Veronica's Room. And that's written by Ira Levin. He is the man behind Rosemary's Baby. And this is a lesser known work, I think. But to me, I like it way, way more. It definitely gaslights you in the beginning. By the end, your, your mind's boggled. It's like, oh my gosh, that was intense. And this movie gave me the same feeling, but it also, because it has those feelings of like, oh my gosh, that was disturbing and that was really confusing. But also it's like the sick satisfaction that you get from being deceived. You're just like, oh, they did that. They did that. So I would recommend Veronica's Room by Ira Levitt. And my recommendation is going off of Women Who Scare the Crap Out of Men. And we're going to go with Fatal Attraction, starring Michael Douglas and Glenn Close. Glenn Close. I love Glenn Close. Thank you for listening to this episode of Fatal Femmes. Please subscribe and stay tuned for our next episode. To keep up with us, please follow us on Twitter at Fatal underscore Femmes. That's F-A-T-A-L underscore F-E-M-M-E-S. Have a suggestion or a comment for the show? Shoot us an email at fatalfemspodcast at gmail.com. We hope you enjoyed today's episode because if you didn't, we'll find you.